How's it going, folks? I'm Brother Matthew, and welcome to Christian Coffee Time, where we sit down together to study the Word of God. And today we're going to be continuing on our study of the Gospel of John. <clears throat> and in this study, uh, we're going to kind of go a different route just a little bit. And we're going to be taking a look at what the Bible says in ways of, as the Scripture hath said. And down in verse 17 of John 7, he shall know of the doctrine. Now, doctrine is vital. The doctrine is so important when, uh, when it comes to understanding the Christian faith. If we don't know doctrine, don't know theology, we're going to be having uh, an awful hard time being able to differentiate between truth and heresy, between that which is of God and that which is of the cults and of false religions and beliefs. Now, Jesus says, if any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine. And then Jesus goes on to say, as the scriptures have said, doctrine of scripture, not doctrine of men, not doctrine of catechism, not doctrine of commentary, not doctrine of, of what I feel, what I think, what I believe. It is very important in this to know what does the Bible say. So we're going to be taking a look at some of these things as we go along. And it looks like we're having a little bit of a problem here with our live chat. It's not showing up. I don't know why. Let's see here. Nope, I don't want that. No, I don't know why the live chat isn't working this morning. That's weird. All right. Sorry about that. I don't know how to fix that. I don't know what to do about that. The live chat's not working. Okay. I didn't do anything different. Okay, so we're going to continue on. There's going to be a simple listen. And anyways, it's going to be more of a shorter study in this for this morning. But to continue on here, as Jesus says... He that speaketh of himself seeketh his own glory, but he that seeketh his glory that sent him the same is true and no unrighteousness in him. To know the difference between that, between that which we perceive, that which we think, as Jesus says in verse 24, judge, judge not according to the appearance, but judge righteous judgment. Now, all because a guy has a fancy suit and many titles and, and, uh, and certificates and diplomas, and he has a lot of education, all because he has a big name, lots of success, all because a lot of things may be going well on the appearance. It may, he may look powerful. He may seem learned. It doesn't mean that his doctrines and that which he is speaking of is correct according to the word of God. We got to understand how to be able to differentiate and, and discern by according to the word of God and the word of God alone. And we go over this many times by the three points, the three points of Bible study, the Berean method. Now, as interpretation, application, demonstration, there's the interpretation of a passage. We take a look at something. Some people may use the Bible. They may grab a Bible and they may start reading it and they may, may start speaking the, the verses, but they are not rightly dividing and they can pull verses out of context. And many people do this. So you see many people, I'm going to use Joel Osteen as an example, where he can pull verses out of the Bible. He may quote scripture, but all because a person is quoting scripture does not mean that they are a true servant of God. Does not mean that they know doctrine and theology. 
All because someone carries a Bible doesn't mean that they're a Christian. All because someone calls themselves a Christian doesn't mean that they're a Christian. And as you see by the Gospel of John, there are so many uh, tests and so many discerning factors that must be taken in consideration. As Jesus talking to Nicodemus, except you be born again. Unless you're born again, you will not see the kingdom of God. Well, I believe in Jesus, but have you been born again? Well, I go to church. I believe in Jesus. I said the sinner's prayer. But what is the doctrine of scripture? What does it say as the scriptures have said, how one is born again, how one is saved? It's more than just saying a prayer. It's more than just one, two, three, repeat after me, ask Jesus in your heart. Nowhere in the Bible will you find ask Jesus in your heart. This is why the scriptures say, examine yourselves to see if you're in the faith. How can we know if we are truly in the faith, in the faith in way of salvation, in the faith in way of proper teaching and doctrine and study, in, in the examine yourself to see if you're in the faith by proper evangelism and outreach? Are you doing all these things biblically? Because as we see the Pharisees in John 7, are, uh, it's a continuation here how they are so mad at Jesus for healing the man on the Sabbath. Healing the man on the Sabbath. And they're calling him out and they're hating him <clears throat> because he goes against the Pharisees' idea of religion. The Pharisees' idea of doctrine. But what is doctrine according to God? God's doctrine. Not catechismic doctrine. Not commentary doctrine. Not the doctrine of the councils or the, the, nice, the, the Nicene Creed or the Apostolic Creed. Or, no, no. What is just... What does the Bible flat out say in and of itself? There is nothing in this world that is beyond test and beyond reproof. There's nothing in this world that is beyond checking and to, where it's to be held, held up accountable to the word of God. All people are to be tested. Even the safest that you would think that you would presume would be the safest to listen to must be held accountable to the word of God. Nobody is beyond reproof, beyond rebuke, beyond, and beyond exhortation. We must uphold all things accountable. So we come to the word of God and we look at theology. What does the Bible say about Jesus? What does the Bible say about repentance? What does the Bible say about the cross? What does the Bible say about sin? What does the Bible say about how, how one is to be baptized and what baptism is? What does the Bible say about where does one go when they die? You take a look at Roman Catholicism, where they say Mary is elevated to the point of an advocate, intercessor, uh, mediator, grand redemptress, all these other crazy titles they give her. But what does the Bible say? Uh, or you look at Lutheranism, where they, where they say that baptismal regeneration is a part of salvation. Well, that's wrong. How about Anglicanism or infant baptism? You see, there's such a wide diversity of opinions in, in the so-called world of Christianity. And as one preacher says, if everything is called Christian, then nothing is Christian. We got to know what is Christian according to God. What is Christianity according to Scripture? They are called Christians first at Antioch. But what does the Bible say? How we can check and make sure. Because especially today, my people perish for lack of knowledge, as the scriptures say. 
education on Bible study and simple study of the Word of God and knowing what these things truly are and understanding the, the meanings of the words are being lost. They're being in today. The art of study, the art of biblical scriptural memorization, the art of theology, of studying these things and, and, and putting effort to this. Well, I, I don't have enough time. I'll just I'll just accept and believe whatever the, the guy in the pulpit is saying. Well, how do you know his theology is right? If we're not doing the work ourselves, how can we know if the preacher's correct? How do we know if the evangelist is correct? How do you, how do you know you're correct? How do I know I'm correct? We want to go back to the word of God. As Peter says in chapter 6, verse 68, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. The words of eternal life, the words that are being lost by modern by modernism, by modern Christianity. So many people say they're Christians, but Jesus says many in that day will cry, Lord, Lord. How could that be possible? That that statement in scripture is the most terrifying thing to me. How so many multitudes upon multitudes will be crying, Lord, Lord. And he'll say, I don't know you. But have we not done many wonderful works in thy name? Have we not prophesied in thy name? Have we not cast out devils in thy name? He says, but I don't know you. That is absolutely terrifying. But if you take a look at what they're saying, nowhere do they say, have we not believed in thy name? How could that be possible? How could you, how could you know Christ, work for Christ, but Christ not know you? How could you believe in Christ, but Christ not know you? It does that then mean that there's a wrong way of believing. There's a wrong belief. There's a wrong way to go about this. Well, head knowledge doesn't save. Intellectualism on the faith doesn't save. And just one, two, three, repeat after me, just, just repeat the sinner's prayer like a magical incantation doesn't save you. It doesn't save you. It doesn't. Nowhere in the scripture do we find the sinner's prayer. All, all because a person has said these words doesn't mean they're saved. And the people can say words without having the understanding of them. If you say, okay, I, I, I get, dear Lord Jesus, I believe on you. Please save me. Forgive me of my sins. I accept you as my savior. Amen. Okay. But now what does that mean? If there's no actual true understanding and belief of the heart and an acceptance of this, understand that you're a sinner, you're lost in sin, you're dead in your sins, you're on your way to hell, and you're going to be condemned. If you don't understand this, how, how the Lord God so loved you, he made a way for you, where he came down, was born in the flesh, and gave himself to us as Acts 20, 28, God purchased the church with his own blood. And the Philippians 2, 5 to 8, and he was found in fashion as a man, and he humbled himself unto death, even the death of the cross, because he so loved you, because he's not willing that any should perish. Understand that he's our Savior, our Lord. He gave himself to the cross as the, the Lamb of God, which shall take away the sin of the world, and he shed his blood and died, was buried, rose again the third day. If you don't believe all of this as 100% truth, you're not saved. All because you say the words doesn't mean you're in. You must believe of the heart. As Romans 10, 9 to 10 says, you confess with your mouth the belief of your heart. You could grab anyone's arm and coerce them into saying the sinner's prayer. 
You could badger them into it. You could bang on their door and beg them to say these words. And just to, just to get rid of you, they'll say the words. And now, oh, good, good, great. Now they're in. No, it doesn't work that way. Easy believism is such a curse upon this world. Such a curse. It's a watered down, weakened system of, of a weak gospel that inoculates people against the truth. They just take an inoculation against the true gospel. Well, I'm saved because I said the prayer. You're no more saved than the gravel in the driveway is. That We have to understand what is doctrine, theology of salvation. Who is Jesus according to the Bible? Did you know 52% of professed Christians don't believe that Jesus is God? according to the statistics and polls that are taken, upwards to 52% of so-called Christians don't believe that Jesus is God. Let that sink in for a moment. Many in that day will cry, Lord, Lord. And Jesus says, if you do not believe that I am, you will die in your sins. You're not saved if you don't believe that Jesus is God. Theology and doctrine is so important, and, and the curse that is upon modernism of modern Christianity is, is that Christians won't study. They'll read the Bible. They won't study it. They'll graze through it. They won't study it. They'll read the passages, but they won't pay attention to what it's actually talking about, and they won't rightly divide. Well, I don't have time. You have time to watch television. You have time to go play with your friends. You have time to go do everything else. Why don't we have time to, to actually sit down and school ourselves in theology and doctrine and actually educate ourselves in proper understanding as the scriptures had said. There's a great curse that is upon the world these days of the, of the great falling away. And the falling away is falling away from doctrine, falling away from theology, falling away from actually applying the word of God, applying the faith. You see, demons don't care if you read the Bible. Devils don't care if you pray or go to church as long as you just don't apply it to yourself, as long as you don't take it seriously. You see, we can go through all the motions like the Pharisees did as we've been reading about how they go through all the motions of religiosity and tradition and protocols and ritual. But they are full of dead men's bones, as Jesus says, whitewashed sepulchers full of dead men's bones. They have the form of godliness, but lacking the power thereof. And that is the majority of Christians these days. How can we truly tell who is truly born again? You shall know of the doctrine. You shall know of the doctrine. But doctrine and fundamentals are those stuffy words. They're those stuffy words that people just don't seem to understand or accept. Because it's fundamentals, because it's doctrine, people are scared of this. They, they think that that's, that's hyper-legalism and, and strict religion. They don't understand that fundamentals are the teachings. Fundamentals are the doctrines. The doctrines are the teachings. The fundamentals of the deity of Christ. The fundamentals of the cross. The doctrine of repentance. The doctrine of grace. But all because these words seem to scare us off, we then are scared off of deeper study and deeper belief and understanding of the faith. 
We are more inclined to study other world religions because they're kind of stirring and exciting to read about them. Or read about apologetics of Islam, read about apologetics of Hinduism and Buddhism and all these other religions around us. We, we look at the outward appearance and we look at all the colors and the lights and stuff of Catholicism and read about that. But how come we won't put as much effort into our own faith? Oh, because we, seem, we, we think we seem to, to know it all. Oh, really? We grow tired of the Bible. We grow tired of the same stories, going over the same books, the same teachings, the same things over and over and over and over again. If you get bored with the Bible, that means you're not actually properly studying it. You should never grow tired of Scripture. Never grow tired of hearing the gospel message over and over again. If you were to hear the gospel message 10,000 times, you, you should be just as excited about it the 10,000th time as you were the very first time you ever heard it. Because it's truth. And every time you hear it, you learn something new. You see something new. There's something about it that, that, that grasps you. You see something you never saw before. Every time you go through it, you could read the exact same verse over and over again for your entire life. And only read that one verse. And every time you read it, you would get something new out of it if you actually studied it. Word studies. Rightly divided. Seeing how when Jesus says something over here, that the prophets said that in the Old Testament. And we see how God repeats himself and shows himself again and again and again through many different ways all throughout the scriptures. The volume of the book, it is written of me. This world cannot hate you, but me it hateth. But can Christians grow tired and, and tiresome of the faith? Not hate the faith, but like grow tired of it, lose interest, lose their faith. Not lose their salvation, but lose their faith. Is it possible Christians can lose their faith in this? Lose their, lose their desire, lose, lose the drive, the, the gumption to go deeper? Yes, it's possible. Christians can lose their faith, not their salvation, but lose their faith. They grow tired and apathetic, lukewarm. They backslide in these things and they don't apply themselves. And the Bible goes dusty day after day. How we can get so caught up in our daily, this daily schedules and work and things. And the Bible gets pushed to the back burner. We were warned about this, that when this happens, this is where the church hands the torch over to the world and the world starts telling us what to do. The world starts telling us not to witness, starts telling us not to sing the hymns. And, and the world tells us not to take the faith seriously. The world tells us not to take communion. The world tells us not to, uh, to tithe. The world tells us not to street preach. And we give in because we've lost the gumption. Because we're not studying it, we're not applying it to ourselves deeply, sincerely, truly, like we're supposed to. Jesus says, he that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ is more than just to believe on, on, on a truth for a golden ticket. To believe on the Lord Jesus Christ is to believe in a person. Jesus is the Christ, the mighty God manifested in the flesh. And to understand what that means will truly change you. And you won't be able to be silent about it. It'll drive you. It'll drive you in everything that you're doing. Because the truth that there actually is a God 
that there actually is a God who made all things. And he came down in the flesh and saved all things because he loved all things, because he loves us. He cares about us. He's not willing that any should perish. And Jesus says, I want you to believe in me as the scripture hath said. Believe in me as I have said, as he is the author of scripture. Now, what do the scriptures say on how to believe in him? With all of your heart. Now, with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. To believe on him and confess with your mouth the belief of your heart. There's no room for anything else. There's no room to say, yes, I believe in Jesus. And, and you just kind of put that as a slot on the bookshelf as just one, another aspect of your life. This, 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 okay, here's my philosophy, here's my psychology, here's my religion, and here's my, my work, and here's my hobbies. No, 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 no. He is everything. Your hobby is to study the Word of God. Your work is to study the Word of God. Your life, your food, your bread, your light, your water is the Word of God. The point and purpose of living now is the word of God. You live not for money. You live not for wealth and fortune. You live not for all the things that this world can give you. You live to glorify the Lord God, Jesus Christ. And how can you do that if you're not studying his word? How can you, how can you glorify God if you're not taking the faith seriously? Well, we glorify him by hymns. But are you pay atten paying attention to the words? Are you paying attention to the words? When you look at the vast majority of the praise and worship of today, it is just vain repetitions where you don't know what they're singing about. You could easily replace, replace it with talking about your dog, talking about your vacation, your new car. The, the, the meanings of the modern choruses and hymns are so weak and blasé that it could be singing about your girlfriend or your boyfriend. But you look at the old hymns, you look at how they're singing about doctrine, singing about theology, the promises of God, the teachings of scripture, the fundamentals of the faith. This is what Jesus is talking about. If you truly love me, if you truly love me, Jesus says, if you actually take me seriously, it will be made known. Out of you will flow springs of living water. It'll, it'll come as a, just as a natural byproduct. It naturally flows outwardly. The desires and the impulses, the, the, the wants and the likes, the, the dislikes, according as God loves. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. And the Lord, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. To love righteousness, hate iniquity. But do we see that in the churches today? Do we see that in modern Christianity today of a loving of righteousness and a hating of iniquity? We see more of a, of a toleration of sin. Toleration of sin. Condoning sin. We see it in our, in our entertainment, our music, and our lifestyles, our words, our conversations, our likes and dislikes. We see a watering down and weakening of doctrine. How can we say we love God if we love the world at the same time? Out of the same mouth proceeds both blessings and cursings. Ought not such a thing to be? How can we say we love God when it's, it's hardly manifested in our lives? 
We hardly witness. We don't, we don't guard our senses. We don't guard our eyes, guard our words. And there's, there's bickering and infighting and contentions and strifes of words. And there's lack of understanding of doctrine and, and Christian versus Christian debating over basic fundamentals of faith. Arguing and bickering about the meaning of the word of the word in term repentance. Arguing and bickering about, about whether or not it's it's you know ask Jesus in your heart or repent and believe the gospel. It's the same thing. Like, why are you calling upon Jesus, asking him to save you? Is because you have repented of your sins and believed on him. But why are so many Christians arguing and bickering about basic fundamentals? Basic, basic things. How so many Christians, as I said, according to the polls that have been taken, 52% of so-called professed Christians don't believe that Jesus is God. How could that be possible? Is it possible that maybe the Christians have slacked on something? That Christians aren't upholding a truth? Christians aren't defending something that the word of God flat out clearly states? That we, uh, we, we fear because so many other so-called professed Christians claim to be Christians and we don't know how to tell the difference. We start to water down and compromise our own convictions. Could that be it? Why is it that so many around us can claim to be Christian and not even believe the gospel of the Bible? There's, there's now a movement called Atheist Christians. Where, where they where they adhere to Christian morals and Christian uh, Christian you know conservatism but they don't believe that there's a God atheist Christians now or how about Christian witches Christian occultists that's a very real thing how is it possible that this could be going on and so many modern liberal personal interpretation Christians are giving license to that and accepting that and hate and hating upon and condemning people that might judge against that. And we, and we see about baptism. So many people don't understand baptism. How is it that so many people could not understand baptism? So many people think that baptism is a requirement for salvation. Well, it's not. How can water replace blood? As the Bible flat out says, that without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. That's the shedding of the blood of the sacrifice of the lamb that forgives sins, that covers sins, not water. And that we, as we see throughout the scriptures, after you believe, you will get baptized. Baptism is not a requirement for salvation. It does not affect your salvation. The thief on the cross is one of the greatest pictures of that. Did they pull him down off the cross and go dunk him in water and put him back on the cross? No. And Jesus says, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. And we see many others that later on, we see how, how Peter says that, can anyone forbid water to these who have received the Holy Ghost the same as we? They received the Holy Ghost because they got born again saved. They had not been baptized yet, but they're sealed by the Spirit of God. You can't be sealed by the Spirit of God unless you're born again saved. So you see, they're born again, saved, sealed by the Spirit of God before they're even baptized. And we see Philip the Evangelist, the Ethiopian eunuch. Um, the Ethiopian says, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip says, if, if, if thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he says, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And they went down and he was baptized. Baptized after he believed. And we see by the word of God that belief alone saves you. By grace, through faith, by belief alone you are saved. By grace, by, by grace through faith are you saved. 
And we see Acts 10, 43, to him gave all the prophets witness that through his name, whosoever believeth on him shall receive remission of sins. Ephesians 1, 7, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins by the riches of his grace. By grace are ye saved. Salvation. But so many Christians don't understand the meaning of grace. They don't understand the meaning of faith. They don't understand the meaning of belief. This truly bothers me when you see this it's happening with this modern liberal personal interpretation christianity that is replacing fundamentalism now i'm not saying legalism i'm saying fundamentalism fundamentalism is adhering to the strict doctrines of the word of god of just what it says is what it means that's what that means fundamentalism does not mean legalism Legalism is adding to the Bible things outside the Bible that are not in the Bible. Being strict on doctrine is not legalistic. It's like calling a car a car. It's what it is. Calling sin, sin. It's what it is. Being strict on doctrine is being biblical and is being obedient to God. Legalism is not fundamentalism. Legalism is not doctrine. Legalism is nonsense. But adhering to doctrine strictly as God has said is being fundamental on the conservative value of the word of God as God hath said. What God says is true, whether we like it or not. But Christians don't want to apply, apply themselves to this in this strict manner because to do so would mean we'd have to give up things in our lives that we are accepting and personally believing in and personally enjoying. Giving up fleshly enjoyments The word of God is strict in these things. What does the Bible say about this? As the scripture had said. As the scripture had said. You believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Why are you believing on Jesus? Why do we believe in Jesus? Believing in Jesus for what? Salvation from what? Saved from what? Your sins. So you believe in Jesus for salvation from your sins. Like in the Old Testament, they put faith in the sacrifice of the Lamb for the forgiveness of sins. We believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, God manifest in the flesh, God who purchased the church with his own blood because he so loved us. 1 Timothy 3.16, God was manifested in the flesh. We believe in the Lord God, Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God who shed his blood for us. And we believe on this. We accept this. His blood covers us and cleanses us. The blood washes away sin. And then we show outwardly through obedience and adherence to the word of God. And the first step of the act of obedience, baptism, as, as it demonstrates, it shows the image outwardly of what has happened inwardly. As it says in Titus 3, 5, not, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but by his mercy saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost cleanses us and washes us inwardly of our sin, cleanses us and seals us. And then we show the outward appearance of water, the baptism of saying, this is, this is what happened to me. It's like the ring in marriage. Does the ring marry you? No. What does the ring do? What is the ring for? The ring is just a symbol. It's a symbol that symbolizes that the vows are given. The vows marry you, not the ring. Can you get married without a ring? Yeah. 
Am I still married if I lose the ring? Yeah. How about if I never got a ring? Yeah, I'm still married. Baptism is your ring and your marriage to Christ. It's this. It's a simple symbol that, that's, get, that's taught by the Lord that demonstrates that repentance has been made. That salvation has been given. That belief has been done. That the vows were given. As John the Baptist said, one comes after me who will baptize you with fire and the Holy Ghost. Not water. Christ baptizes us with his spirit and cleanses us and washes us with his spirit and his blood. The fire of the Holy Ghost that descends upon the believer cleanses him and washes him and purges him clean. And we show this outwardly by the act of baptism. And then we give up all, die to self, obey Christ. If you love me, follow me. If you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me. Love of Christ is what brings one to salvation because I love him more than my sin. I love him more than myself. I love him more than my own opinions and my own thoughts and, and beliefs and things. And I see that he is true and I am wrong. To love Christ, to set Christ first, to love his word over my opinions and my thoughts. The facts of the word of God replace my own ideologies. My entire being is restructured and changed. And a new construct comes out. A whole new way of thinking. A, new, a whole way of believing. A whole new way of seeing the world. A whole new reality is opened up before me. And I cannot bring my old dead life in the world into this new reality. The reality of God. The reality of Christ. The reality that the word of God is true whether I like it or not. The reality of faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. What is faith? Faith is believing trust. I have believing trust that what God says in his word is absolute. His promises, his teachings, his doctrine, his theology, his warnings, his curses, his judgments, his woes. All of this is true. We ought to take the woes of God as seriously as we take his promises. We ought, to, we ought to take seriously what God takes seriously. If you don't, how can you say you love God? Catholics say they love Jesus. Mormons say they love Jesus. Muslims say they love Jesus. And many atheists say they love Jesus. A Jesus of their understanding. Hindus say they love Jesus. Occultists say they love Jesus. What does it mean to you to say you love Jesus? What does it mean to you to say that you, you have a Bible, that you read a Bible, that you believe the Bible? What does that mean to you? Do you believe it enough that it actually changes you? It changes you in the way as it changed the prophets, as it changed the disciples, as it changes Saul who became Paul, who gave up all, died to self, gave his life for Christ. How much do you believe in the word of God? How much do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? As the scripture hath said, what is enough then? What is enough? It is never enough. There's no limit. There's no limit. Is that every single day we grow closer and closer and closer to fellowship and relationship with God. Every day. We get, we get one step closer, one little bit closer. We learn something new, something more that changes us. As the scriptures hath said, that we would love him more than we love ourselves. 
that we crucify the flesh with the affections and lust thereof, and we walk in the spirit so you don't fulfill the lust of the flesh. He that speaketh of himself seeketh his own glory, and he that seeketh his glory that sent him the same is true, and no unrighteousness is in him. Seek to seek to be free from unrighteousness. That unrighteousness causes us to grieve and sorrow over ourselves, and, and, and sowing in tears. Where is the emotion and the passion and the fervency? The fervency. We see the passion and the fervency that drove the disciples. We see the passion and the fervency that drove Stephen to become the first martyr. The passion and the fervency that drove Elijah to battle with the prophets of Baal. The passion and the fervency of John who leaned upon, upon Jesus' breast and begged of him. We see the passion and the fervency that drove them to run to the empty tomb and to go into all the world and preach Christ irregardless of the persecutions that would come. The passion and the fervency that would drive us to put away those things out of our lives that would be a hindrance and, and a distraction from proper biblical study and belief and adherence of, of fundamentals. The passion and the fervency that would cause us to say to the governments and to the naysayers and the godless and the heathen and the pagans, we ought to obey God rather than men. We ought to obey righteousness more than worldliness. We ought to obey the word of God. Over everything else. The passion and the fervency that drives true believing trust. What does God say? Jesus says, you both know me and you know whence I am. You know me, Jesus says. You know who I am. You know what I said. You know what my word is about. Why won't you do it, Jesus says. John four, uh, John chapter 4, verse 17. If a man knows to do right and doeth it not to him, it is sin. How can we say, say possibly to God, oh, I didn't know when it comes to that day. We know full well what the word of God is about. We know full well what God requires of us. What Christ requires of us. Our duties in Christ are... Our priorities. We know what we should do. Why won't we do it? Well, the flesh is hard. The flesh fights. The flesh battles. But are we using excuses? Are we using excuses? Like I said before, how you can, it's so easy to memorize every song on the radio, but we won't memorize scripture. We'll talk for hours and hours and hours about politics and entertainment. But we can hardly talk for 10 minutes on biblical things. We can watch millions of YouTube videos on every other topic, but we can hardly watch a single YouTube video that's about a sermon or a teaching of, of the Bible. Our priorities are all over the place. And the Lord says, you know who I am. You know what I'm about. Will you follow me as the scriptures hath said? Will you believe in me as the scriptures hath said? Peter says, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. Where else can we go? Show me a philosopher, a psychologist. Show me a, a teacher. Show me any single person that has anything worth saying that Christ has not already said that's of value. The devil, the devil is a master plagiarizing ripoff artist. He rips off of everything that God says and tries to make it look like other people have said incredible things. If you look at the cults, I'm sure you could find some golden thing, something that seems good. But show me how, how Christ didn't say it first. The good thing, the, go, the golden rule, the teachings, the ways of life and, and how it's just to go about things. 
Why are people looking to philosophies and not to Christ? Why are people looking looking to other teachings and things to help them and comfort them and not to Christ? Come to me, all ye who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Care not, worry not, fret not, doubt not, stress not. Be anxious for nothing, but in prayer and supplication make your requests made known unto God. You both know me, as the scriptures hath said. The Jesus of the Bible is almighty God manifested in the flesh. The God who made all things. The word which is God that became flesh and dwelt among us. The word that made all things. There is not anything else that was made that was made without him. He made all things. By, by him the worlds were framed by the word of God. And the word which is God became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. The glories of the only begotten of the Father. Full of grace and truth. The begotten of God, God's own body that he fashioned for himself. The spirit of God came upon Mary who fashioned a body within her. And he indwelt that Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ, the almighty, the savior, the Lord, the king, the soon coming king. But when he comes, will he find us watching? Will he find us faithful? No, will he find us sleeping? Will he find us dozing away like the disciples were in the garden on the last night? How will he find us? Will he find us with our hands full of other worldly things? Or will he find us busy meditating on the word of God day and night, speaking the truth, uh, speech salted with grace? How will he find us? Will he find us faithful, meditating on the word of God and witnessing and evangelizing? Will he find us with our heads in the sand, uh, hiding from the world and just satiating our flesh with every fleshly worldly lust that comes along? How will he find us? Who are we? You know what the atheist finds unbelievable is a belief in God that doesn't change you. What the cultists find unbelievable and no power is to believe in a God that's apparently the almighty God, but lacking the power thereof. What is found just completely just dumbfounding are people who can believe in the Lord God, Jesus Christ, and it doesn't change them completely. It doesn't change them in their and their desires and their and their lusts. It doesn't change their entertainments. It doesn't change their speech. It doesn't change their dress. It doesn't change their morals. It doesn't change the outward appearance. Yes, judge not after the outward appearance, but the inward appearance, the inward spirit of God changes the outward. Out of you will flow the springs of living water. And if those waters aren't flowing out of you, something's wrong. How can we say we love Christ if we're not showing passion, if we're not showing a desire to be like Christ, to truly love someone? You change for them. But how can we hardly see that? We hardly see that these days. So many Christians saying they believe in Jesus, but it doesn't change them. It doesn't change their theology. It doesn't change their doctrine. It doesn't change their outward. It doesn't change their behavior. I have personally known so-called professing Christians who use the name of Jesus as cuss words. They use the name of Jesus Christ in blasphemies and they don't even blink an eye. It doesn't even bother them. They aren't even convicted by that. How is that possible? How can you say you're a child of the living God, a disciple of Jesus Christ, and then use his name as cuss words? Then the Bible says, I allow no corrupt communication to proceed out of my mouth. And not to take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. How can we say we love the Lord God and curse his name? 
How can we say we love God and not read his word? How can we say we're a disciple of Jesus Christ and not study his doctrines and take these things seriously? How can we say we are lovers of God, but yet we're bored with him? We're bored with God, bored with church, bored with the hymns, bored with Bible reading, bored with prayer. We can hardly pray for five minutes without our minds wandering and daydreaming on everything else. We can hardly read the Bible without being distracted by the stupid notifications on our phones. We can hardly spend time with our Christian friends without talking about abominable things and making sick jokes and joking about worldly things and talking about the world more than we talk about God. How is this possible? Some people use the excuse, wow, we were told that this would happen. That doesn't mean that we have to float along with it. We see the prophets and the apostles and the disciples and the true servants of God are being those taking a hold of that plummeting train that's plummeting into hell and trying to slow it down. We try to slow down the great falling away, try to slow down the great apostasy. We try to slow it down by spending time in prayer and fervency and passion of tears, praying for revival. Revival starts in the heart of the one who's praying for it. But do we see Christians praying for revival? The pastor says, who, who here believes we need revival? All hands go up. Okay, now who's ready to do the work for it, to bring it in? All hands go down. We want the benefits, but we don't want to do the work. And then people say, well, it's not by works. I'm not talking about works to earn or maintain salvation. I'm talking working out your salvation, doing the job. Doing the work of what you're called to do, what you've been ordained to do, called to do, appointed to do, appointed to do the good works of Christ. As 1 Peter 3.15, they'll come and ask you of the hope within you. Why are they coming to ask you? Because they see the difference. They see there's something different about you. You talk different. You walk different. You behave different. Your entertainment's different. You are so different. You're alien. You're alien to this world. What, what is different about you? And they want to be like you, not because of our love, like we're hippies, but because they want to be like you because you're different. There's, there's a light about you. There's peace and love. There's, there's something different. And they want to know, and, they, and you tell them it's because of Jesus, and you show them Jesus Christ. But will the world want to be like you if you're like the world? How will they want to come and ask you the hope within you if they're not even seeing the hope? If they're not even hearing it, if it's not even being demonstrated to them, if they're not seeing any evidence of it, if we're not even speaking of Christ, what is it that will convict them? What will draw them? Well, they'll want to be like you because of your love. What, worldly love, fleshly love, or Christ's love? Christ's love is to go to them and show them how they're wrong and lost in sin and they need to be saved. As Jesus sat in the publicans and sinners, he showed them how what they were doing was wrong and they needed to repent and believe in the truth. He didn't sit them and become like them. He didn't condone their sin, tolerate the sin. He didn't, he didn't take part in their sin. He didn't justify their sin. He didn't validate their sin. He convicted them of their sin. That his righteousness and his ways and his truth and his doctrine and what he was talking about was of such a way that it convicted them of their sin. But will Christians do that today? No, they won't because people are too afraid of getting triggered. Everyone's getting triggered about everything. Well, they trigger God every day. It's about time they get triggered. It's about time we trigger them with righteousness, trigger them with the truth of God. As Jesus even said, doth this offend you? It ought to. 
If this doctrine does not offend you, then something is wrong. It should offend sin. It should offend the flesh. It should offend the world. And it should drive the world mad so they we would hate you because of me, Jesus says. If this world doesn't hate you, you're doing something wrong. If this world isn't persecuting you, you're not speaking loud enough. You're not preaching hard enough. You're not demonstrating well enough. You're not living properly enough. This world should hate you. The world, the pagans and the heathens and the godless should be stirred up and bothered about what you stand for. That when they see you coming, they know what you're about. They know that you are so different that they can't get away with this around you. Because you'll be telling them how they're wrong and how they need to repent and believe in the Lord. And they need to be born again. We don't do so in maliciousness. We don't do so in hate and, and anger. But we do so in passion because they are on their ways to hell. They're going to burn for eternity in the flames of hell. If that doesn't bother you, you have not the love of God. Because the love of God is love of such degree. You'd be willing to do anything so that they might be saved. God does not want them to be condemned. He does not want them to go to hell. It, do we care about that enough? How can we walk by multitudes after multitudes of people and not care about their souls? How can you stand in the lines and be around the multitudes and not care one iota that they're going to hell? How can we live in this world in such a way and not care about lost souls? How we can be friends of the unsaved and not speak a word of Christ to them day after day after day after day. Well, I do posts about it, but you don't speak about it. You don't explain it. They need to hear the truth. The watchman on the wall needs to warn them. How can Christians not be as the scriptures hath said? How can Christians call themselves Christians and not be Christ followers? How can we say we're disciples of Jesus Christ and not be Christ-like? Christ-like is a change, a change of heart, a change of attitude. Ye both know me, you know what I am. Can people say that about you, that they know who you are and they know what you're about? Are you Christian? Are you a true disciple of the living God, the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you a student of his holy word? Are you a student and you apply yourself to this? Do you care about the word of God as much or more as you care about your job? Do you love Christ as much or more than you do your family? Do you care about the word of God and doctrine as you do about your entertainment? Do you get as worked up about Jesus Christ and the faith as you get worked up about politics? Do you get as worked up about the word of God and people going to hell as you do get worked up about the virus and the mask? Do you get as worked up about, about the things of God as you do about the things of this life? How can we say we're Christians if we don't get worked up? We don't get worked up about abomination and sin. Look what the governments are allowing in. Look what's happening in California. Look what's happening in Canada and around the world. This world is going to hell in a handbasket, and there's hardly a Christian that's daring to put their hands in the flame and pull it out. This should bother you. This should make you care. This should cause you to think, what is going on? 
the devil goes to church when the saints stop caring. Demons attend church services when Christians stop pouring out their passion, when Christians stop praying. We spend more time talking about the love of God than we do about the judgment of God. The fear of God is knowing the judgment of God upon sin. Jesus talked more about hell than he did heaven. All we see is the pathetic posts across social media. Type amen if you love Jesus. Okay, I understand that. That has its place. But that's all it's become. It's just it's just this hippie love Christianity. This watered down, washed out, limp-wristed Christianity. Weak spine, yellow spine Christianity. That hardly speaks up because we're afraid of persecution. Someone might slam the door in your face. I'm glad the prophets weren't like that. And I'm glad the disciples weren't like that. I'm glad Jesus wasn't like that. But why are we like that? Why have we become so watered down, so uncaring, so weak in doctrine, so so unlearned in, in theology, so unlearned, uneducated in the word of God? How is it possible that we become like this? We see YouTube channel after YouTube channel after post after account after social media after person after church after teacher after preacher that hardly knows what they're talking about. They care more about conspiracy theories. They spend more time talking about and arguing and bickering and fighting and stabbing each other about globe earth or flat earth than they do talking about the meaning of repentance or about how to be born again. More people care about the shape of the earth than they do about the cross. More people care about, care about lizard people than they do care about demons of hell. More people care about other weird, crazy conspiracy theories than they do about even knowing if Psalms is in the Old Testament or the New Testament. The Bibles they start rotting on the bookshelf because other things are more important to us. Why is this? Why is it that we can spend hours bickering about other things and caring about other things than we do about that which is important, what God wants us to truly care about? What is truly important? What is truly important? We care more about who's going to be getting in the White House than who's going to actually be getting in heaven. We care more about if our neighbor votes for the right politician that, than whether or not they're going to be going to heaven or hell. And how we can even hate and bicker and stab and be malicious against other Christians who have other differing opinions that aren't important on the grand scheme of things. We're to love our brethren, love our brothers and sisters and not speak evil of them. But we're so quick to curse fellow brethren because of a political standing. Because they might have a sub a subcategory doctrine different. They might believe in a, you know, a local flood instead of a worldwide flood. And so we condemn them and throw them in the fires of hell because they have a differing belief than us on that. But they believe in the true saving grace of the saving gospel. Because so many Christians don't understand what gospel is. They don't understand what the gospel is and how to preach right gospel, how to declare true gospel and how the gospel, because if someone believes in the Lord God, Jesus Christ, by grace, their faith, to believe alone, as the scriptures had said, they're a born again, saved Christian, sealed with the spirit of God, names written in the Lamb's book of life. How dare we curse them? We ought to know doctrine of gospel first. The doctrine of gospel comes first. Oh, because they come as a Christian doesn't mean they are. What is the doctrine that they are known of? What is the doctrine that they adhere to? What are the fundamentals that they believe? How strict are they on the word of God? How do they take these things seriously? We ought to examine ourselves. 
examine ourselves to see if we are in the faith. Examine ourselves to see if we are according as the scriptures have said. What the scriptures say, is that what we believe? Are we adding to it? Are we subtracting from it? Are we cherry picking it? Are, are we ripping it apart? If we cut apart the Bible, we're cutting apart ourselves. We're cutting apart our own faith. Can a Christian lose faith? Yes. A Christian can't lose salvation, but they can lose faith. They can lose the severity. They can lose the passion. They can lose the fervency. And they can become lukewarm. And it's disgusting unto God. Lukewarm does not mean unsaved. It means an apathetic, spoiled, rotten brat of God. One who no longer cares and will no longer do what God our Father says unto his children. There are, the churches are full of spoiled, rotten brats of God who won't take the faith seriously and it won't go clean the room of their lives. and won't go pick up after themselves, won't go make, clean up the mess that they have made, who won't repent of the sins that they are allowing in. And they're being stubborn and rebellious on the things of God and giving license and credence to sin and abomination and refuse to take seriously what God takes seriously. This is what the world finds unbelievable and why the world can walk over us and destroy the churches and the Christians hardly bat an eye. They slam and chain the doors of the church shut. We're like, oh, well, so, so well for that. And go, I'm going to just go home and not attend church anymore and not try to keep up the fellowship of the saints. Christians don't really care. That they say, oh, we can't go to church because, you know, social distancing. But they'll go to Walmart. They'll go to the, go and walk down the crowds in the street. They'll go hang out with their friends. They'll go to work and hang around tons of people. But they won't hang around the fellow brethren in a, in a church. The hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. Phariseeism. Ignorance. Rampant through the saints. Rampant through the churches. But how can we change this by taking seriously what God says seriously, doing what God says, regardless what the world says? God says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. But more and more as you see the day approaching, how dare we disobey him? That's a thou shalt not. Thou shalt not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Thou shalt not learn to do after the abominations of those nations. And we're disobeying him on that. So many Christians say they believe the Bible, but they've hardly read it. So many Christians say they believe in Jesus, but they hardly know him. So many Christians say, oh, I'm going to heaven, but they hardly know what the cross is. The Christians say, say, oh, I believe in Jesus, but they don't even know how to witness the gospel to the unsaved. How do you know if you're a saved? How do you know if you're a disciple of Christ? How do you know if you're a true, fundamental, doctrine-holding, theology-believing, born-again Christian servant of the Most High God? Do you take the faith seriously? People say, well, that's too strict. Show me from the Word of God how I'm wrong and show me how what I'm saying is wrong. Show me how holding the faith seriously. You know, I will never hear from the mouth of God. I will never, ever hear God say, you took me too seriously. You'll never hear God say that. You'll never hear Jesus say, you took me too seriously. We should be taking him more serious than we ever have. Look at the way the world is going. Look at the way our culture, our societies, our civilization is going. Look at the way our nation is going. It's about time we started taking the word of God so seriously, it ought to cause our neighbor's heads to spin. 
We ought to be taking the word of God so seriously that it would cause the pagans and the heathens to catch their breath because here comes the prophets again. The demons ought to be shaken in their boots because here comes the servants of God who take the faith seriously, who can actually call down the fire upon the altar of their lives, who can actually pray in the rain or on the famine like Elijah did. When they step in the room like Nathan the prophet, you would have the audacity to point your finger in the face of the king and say, thou art the man. Where are the servants of God? Where are the holy men and women of God? Where are they? Where are the Christians who take the faith seriously? Where are the Christians who spend time in prayer, more time in prayer than they do in their entertainment, who would actually shed a tear for sin, who would shed a tear for the unsaved? When was the last time you cried for your unsaved relatives who are about to die and burn in hell? Do you even care? On that great day, on the great white throne judgment day, they'll turn and look you square in the eyes. Are they going to say, how come you never told me? How come you never tried? How come you never cared? How come you never even tried to give me a track? Are your co-workers, your classmates, your friends, those in your circle of influence, that stranger you meet on the sidewalk every day? What, when was the, the time you actually warned them? When was the time you stood out there and you screamed the woes upon our nation? When was the last time you cared? The disciples cared so much that they wrote it down. They codified it by inspiration of God and the servants of God, the early church. They kept it. They protected it. They held it. They preached it. They declared it. They were burned at the stake. They were thrown to the lions. They were sawn asunder. They were stoned and drowned and persecuted and imprisoned. And, and they were tortured and beaten all down through just so that we might be able to let it go. We care more about them slamming a door in our face or getting mad because they're getting triggered. We care more about their triggering than we do about their lost soul. We care more about politics than we do about salvation. We care more about entertainment than we do about fundamentals. We care more about who's in the White House than who's on the throne of heaven. And this is un. Believable. This is unthinkable. This is why the pagans are reigning in our nation. This is why the heathens have breached the gates. This is why the churches are shutting down. This is why revival isn't coming. This is why prayer is failing. This is why the word of God is being let go. This is why Christians are walking away. This is what brings in the great falling away. This is what brings in the great falling away. When Christians stop caring. When we no longer see the revival spirit, we no longer see revival hearts. We no longer see those who will pray and pray and pray and pray until the princes of Persia and the kings of Persia are defeated by the heavenly hosts. And the angel finally comes and says, the Lord heard you on the first day. Here it is. To pray in the rain, to pray in the fire, to pray and to obey and to keep marching until the walls of Jericho fall. We get bored because God didn't answer us on the first circling of the walls. We get so tired of the roaring waters of the River Jordan, we won't step our foot in like he told the priest to do so that he might part it. We scream in panic because the Red Sea's not split yet. We scream in panic because the water hasn't come from the rock yet. We're supposed to wait on God, be patient and wait, be still and know that I am God, to take the faith seriously. Take the faith seriously. But do we? Will we? 
how we can shout amen, shout hallelujah, be so moved, so worked up at the preaching and raise our hands and hallelujahs and amens and agree with the preacher. But as soon as the sermon's over, we forget about it. We walk out of the building. We crank this stupid radio and go right back to the old status quo. We forget what we heard. We look in the, in the glass and immediately forget what we looked like, as the Bible says. How can we get so worked up and passionate about the word of God and immediately stop caring the moment that the broadcast is over, the moment the sermon is ended, the moment the preacher stops? The moment we say amen doesn't mean that our devotions stop. All because we say amen doesn't mean that the study stops, the meditating stops, the fellowship stops, and the evangelism stops. Amen is just a period in the midst of a long, endless, eternal story. It's supposed to continue our whole lives and beyond our lives into eternity. Our service and worship and devotion and passion and prayer. This life is just a way station on an eternity. This is just the beginning. And if we get the beginning wrong, who are we? Can we truly say we love God if we don't take him seriously? Can we truly say we love Jesus Christ if we're not following him diligently in all our days and all our lives? Can we truly call ourselves disciples of Jesus Christ if we are not discipling in his doctrine? We care more about the Lord giving us provisions, the Lord giving us health, the Lord giving us our protection, the Lord protecting us from demons, the Lord helping our day-to-day, the Lord blessing our job, than we do about obeying Him. We want genie God. We want a God that's like, like Aladdin's genie, one who just do all our bidding and bless us and help us and comfort us and make us feel good. We want a Joel Osteen God. We want a Kenneth Copeland God. Well, we condemn Joel Osteen, condemn Kenneth Copeland, but we want what they want. We want a God like that. We don't have to hold ourselves accountable. We don't actually have to do the work that we just get all the blessings and the riches and the prosperity and the health and the wellness without having to hold ourselves accountable in repentance of sin. It's what we want. But where are those who are willing to stand up and shout nay, shout no, that's wrong. That's not what it's about. The, the weeping prophets, the grieving prophets, the weeping disciples and apostles, those who would go and you, they could see, like as, uh, as Leonard Ravenhill puts it, you see the where jo, John the Baptist went because you see his path from his tears rising like steam off the ground. He wept and wept over a lost nation. Have we wept over our lost nation? As Psalm 917 says, the wicked shall be turned to hell and every nation that forgets God. Have we even cared enough that we wept unto God about our lost nation, about our nation has forgotten him? We can't sing our, our national anthems anymore. God does not bless our nations. We are not a nation under God. God is not even found in the White House. He's not found in the schools. He's not found in, in, the, in the buildings. He's not found in the homes. He's not found in the street. He's hardly found in the churches. And do we care? Do we care enough to try to change this? What are we going to do to change this? Does this bother us? Or are we just so, so content with happy-go-lucky, feel-good sermons that we hear a passionate message, we get tired of that, roll our eyes, and here's another one just freaking out, turn it off and go find something else to tell me how I can feel good. 
This is why the judgment and damnation comes in. This is when the fire starts to fall in Sodom and Gomorrah. But do we are we even paying attention enough to know when to flee? Some people say, well, I don't know what to say. Good. That means you won't get in the way. That means now the Lord will be able to speak through you unhindered. As Moses didn't know what to say, and the Lord told him, I will be with thy mouth. I will teach thee what thou shalt say. As the scriptures have said, say this. What does God say? Sin is still sin. Abomination is still abomination. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, or rather expose it. We should go out and call sin, sin, abomination, abomination, regardless what the government say. You shouldn't say that because that will offend people. That will be seen as hate. Good. That means you'll get upset about it because this is righteousness and I will not stop preaching righteousness all because the government says to shut up. All because the government says that sin is now accepted doesn't mean God accepts it. All because the government says abominations accept it doesn't mean God's going to accept it. And neither will I. That I will be the voice of God, a voice crying in the wilderness. You can shut my mouth all you want. The Lord will bring up someone else to take my place. And you're going to fill your prisons with preachers. Then the inmates will hear it then. Then we'll raise our voices together and we'll knock down the walls with our praise and with our preaching. The world will shake with the reverberation of the preaching of judgment and woes. Where are the saints who will do that? Who? Where are the saints that will do that? Where are the men and women of God? Where is the Deborahs? Where is the Esthers, the Ruths, the Hannahs, the Annas, the Huldas, the Marys, the Marthas? Where is the Elijahs, the Samuels, the Matthew, Mark, Luke, Johns? Where is the Elijahs and Samuels? Where is the Moses and Noahs? Where are they? Will you raise your hand and say, here am I, Lord, send me. Here am I, Lord, use me. Will you say it's about time that we stand up? It's about time that we bring in revival. It's about time we preach and pray and work and fast like we're supposed to. Where is revival? We can bring in revival. We can't stop the judgment of God, but we can delay it by praying in revival like how how. Jonah brought in revival of Nineveh. God was going to destroy Nineveh. But they turned and repented and the judgment of God was stayed and delayed. We can delay it. We can delay it if we truly want to. Could you imagine if we brought in another revival? Just one more. One more. One more revival. That swept the nation. That could delay the judgment of God. Just a few more years. But do we care enough to pray? Do we care enough to take the faith seriously? Do we care enough to actually apply ourselves to the word of God like we're meant to? Do we care enough about lost souls that will go and warn them like we're supposed to? Do we care enough about the flames of hell that will plunge our arm in just to pull one out? One soul, to see one soul saved, but not to be content with just one, but one more, one more, one more, until the day we're called home. Care about what God cares about. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Ye both know me and you know whence I am, Jesus says. We know who he is and we know what he's about. Are we willing to take him seriously? 
We know who he is. We know what he says. We know what his commandments are. Are we going to stop being rebellious, stubborn, spoiled, rotten brats of God? You can't tell me that we aren't being that. Could get a box and walk through the, the vast majority of Christians' home and fill that box with things they ought not to have, not have in their possession, of things that are actually sinful unto God and dishonorable unto the King Most High. And you know, and I know that this is true. In all of our homes, in all of our lives, it's true. We could fill multiple boxes. But do we care enough to change? Do we care enough to say, This is wrong? God forgive me. As Peter says, Lord, forgive me. I'm a sinful man. We are sinful. We are sinners saved by grace. We are still sinners struggling and fighting against the sin of the flesh. Saved by grace, yes. Our, see, our souls sealed by the Spirit of God. Battling our flesh. My flesh wars with my spirit and I cannot do the things I would. Will we acknowledge that and hate our flesh, hate our sin, and care enough to repent and change in tears? When was the last time you knelt before God? You actually knelt down, actually knelt down, bowed your head, and begged him to forgive you. Take the faith seriously. To bow before the king, to come before the throne in all boldness. When was the last time you came before Jesus Christ? You fell down at his feet, washed his feet with your tears. When is the last time you did that? If more Christians did that, we'd have a lot less problems today. But all because a lot of Christians aren't doing that doesn't give us license to, to shirk our duties, to shirk our prayers, to shirk our devotions. All because our neighbor won't do it. All because the, 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 the guy beside me and the pew won't do it doesn't give you credence, doesn't give you justification to not do it. We can't use excuses. Excuses are just the skin of a reason stuffed with a lie. People don't do things because they just don't want to. But will we change that and will we choose to want to? I want to follow him. Not that I have to. I want to. I want to do what is right because it is right. I will turn off the filth. I'll stop talking the filth. I will stop thinking the filth. I will stop working the filth. I'll stop walking in filth because that's what Jesus said. Because Jesus said so. And that's enough for me. People may mock you. People may curse you. They may call you Pharisee. They may call you a hater. They may call you legalistic. But whatever, you can call you whatever you want because you know what you're doing is right because God said so. Will we do that? Will we do so because God said so? Will we take the faith seriously? Make Richard Dawkins' jaw hit the ground. Make the cults run for the hills because the servants of God have stepped out of hiding. When the prophet rises, the people will know that God is in you of a truth. Then they will know that a prophet has been amongst them. That a, that a disciple has been amongst them. One who takes the faith seriously. One who can move the hand of God. One who can pray in revival. One who sets the devils to flight. Jesus, I know. Paul, I know. Who are you? Said the demoniac. The demons knew Jesus. The demons knew Paul. Who's Paul? Paul's not God. Paul's not Jesus. Why are they afraid of Paul? Because of what Paul brought to the table. 
how Paul prayed, how he walked and taught and worked and how he devoted himself to the Lord. The devils were afraid of him. Do the devils fear you? Jesus, I know. Paul, I know. Who are you? Who do you think you are in Christ? We can say it. Words are cheap. You say you have faith, but I'll show you my faith by my works. That's what James is talking about. But will we take that seriously? This is more of just this message. This message is more of just me wanting to talk about some of these things I'm seeing is going on. And it really bothers me. Seeing so many so-called professed Christians all around about who are so blasé about the faith. They go to church, sing the hymns, read the Bible, pray, wash, rinse, repeat, wash, rinse, repeat, wash, rinse, repeat. And it's more of traditionalism to them than it is living faith. How they can pray and pray and pray and pray and pray and pray and nothing ever happens. And, and it doesn't bother them. And they'll never, ever, ever fast. Because, well, I can't because, you know, they make excuses. So many Christians say they love Jesus, but never witness of him. Who, who are so assured that they are saved, but they don't even know how to witness the saving grace to anyone else. How do you know you're saved if you don't even know how to explain the gospel? That ought to scare you. Many in that day will cry, Lord, Lord. How do you know you're saved if you don't even know how to explain the gospel to someone else? If you don't even know what the Bible says and how to be truly born again, how do you know you're saved? Are you 100% sure that if you were to drop dead right now, you'd be in the presence of God? Or would you immediately open your eyes in flame and torment? If you're, even, if you're even doubting, fearing, wondering on that, even just the slightest bit, then right now, let today be the day of salvation. Call upon the Lord right now and get yourself assured. Get yourself assured. Jesus is the Christ, the mighty God manifested in the flesh, who saves by grace through faith by belief alone, period. He died on the cross for our sins because he so loved us. And we are lost in our sins, dead in our sins. And we need to be saved from our sins. Repent of your sins and believe the gospel. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Confess with your mouth the belief of your heart upon him. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead and thou shalt be saved. And whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. And whom also after that ye believed, you were sealed of that Holy Spirit of promise. And this is the truth. This is the only truth there is. This is the only way, the only truth, the only life. Nothing else is more important than this right now. Nothing else is more important. How do you know you are truly saved. How can you call yourself a disciple? What defines a disciple of Jesus Christ? What is a Christian? What is a Christian? Cults call themselves Christians. Witches call themselves Christians. Catholics, Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, Buddhists, and Hindus can call themselves Christians. What is a Christian according to the word of God? What is a disciple according to the word of God? What is doctrine according to the word of God? What is theology according to the word of God? What is the word of God? It is not open to personal interpretation. And what I think, I feel, I believe is wrong. 
Well, you have your interpretation. Nonsense. Well, that's what you think. Hogwash. That's false theology. That's lies and heresies and blasphemies. That's doctrines of devils. It is what it is. And what it says is what it means, whether we like it or not. And you better start liking it because if you don't like it, you don't love God. If your God is not the God of the whole Bible, your God is a devil and not God. If your Jesus is not the Jesus according to scripture, your Jesus is a demon and not God. Get yourself right with the word of God. Get your nose in the book. Start reading it, studying it, memorizing it, believing it, and preaching it, and teaching it, and proclaiming it. Because that's what we're called to do. And the only reason you wouldn't want to do that is because you don't love God. Pure and simple, plain and simple, blow away the fluff and feathers. That's what it is. We love ourselves. We love our flesh. We love our entertainments. We love this world. We, we love our own ideologies and experiences and feelings more than we do the word of God. It's about time we got our, ourselves right with God. We start taking the faith seriously and we started making the devils run. Drive Satan out of church. Drive the goats out of church. Preach the truth, whether that, that fills the room or clears it out. The goats can't stand sound theology. It's about time we make the goats run for the hills. Clear out the dead wood. It's about time the saints of God stand up, get fired up about what's truly important, care more about God and the word of God than the things of this world. This is what you would hear from the prophets and the apostles and the disciples in the early church, that, that, that if the, we could bring the apostles up to today, they'd be flipping the tables. And I'm telling you right now, if Jesus was to come back and walk into our churches, the vast majority of churches wouldn't even let Jesus in the pulpit because he'd be too judgmental. Consider that. They wouldn't let the apostles in the pulpits because they'd be, they'd be too judgmental. Peter and Paul and James, and, and all the disciples would be flipping tables like crazy. The, the early church would be turning over in their grave if they knew how we dropped the ball. Where is sound theology and doctrine? Show me a Christian who truly cares. More, more, more than just loving them. Love them and just buying coffees and, and you know, the charismatic uh, wash, rinse, repeat hymns and choruses and one, two, three, repeat after me gospel. No, I want to hear sound doctrine. I want to hear theology. I want to hear thus saith the Lord. If Baal be God, then follow him. But if the Lord is God, follow him. As Joshua said, choose you this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. If you love me, think about those words. Jesus standing before his disciples, Jesus himself, God manifested in the flesh. God says, if you love me, keep my commandments. He would say, well, we're, we don't follow commandments. If you love me, Jesus says, keep my commandments. Well, commandments is Old Testament. So is John 3.16. Did you know the Sermon on the Mount, John 3.16, and all the ministry of Jesus Christ is Old Testament? The te technically, the New Testament dispensation didn't start till after the cross. Think about that. If you love me, Keep my commandments. Why would we not want to is the question. 
Why would we not want to? Why would we water down the commandments of God? Why would we choose to not take it seriously? That's the question. That's what I would like everyone to think about. God says this. I do this. Why? Well, my flesh is strong. Then you ought to fast and pray and weaken the flesh. There's an answer for everything. There's a way to go about this. There's a way that is right that seemeth unto a man, but the ways thereof is evil and death. All those who hate me love death, God says. Look at society. Look at look at the entertainment. Look what's coming up. Look at the holidays coming up. Look at all the different things that are going on. Why are Christians tolerating that which glorifies the devils? That glorifies that which God abhors. That which God calls abomination in Christians revel. Why? Prayerlessness is disobedience. Faithlessness is godlessness. And our churches are full of it. It's about time we clear it out. It's about time the saints of God rise up and bring in the fire of God. And start bringing in true doctrine, true theology. As Jesus says in John chapter 7, He that believeth on me, as the scriptures hath said, to believe on Jesus Christ enough that you'd speak about it. You'd live it. You'd demonstrate it. You'd promote it. You'd declare it. Declare and decree doctrine, theology, what Jesus Christ says. So, I'm just going to wrap it up on that. I hope that this moves you. I hope that this encourages you. I hope this helps you. I hope this strengthens you. I hope that you'll watch this again, share this around, and take this seriously. And God bless all those who love our Lord God, Jesus Christ. God bless all those who love his holy word. Please give this a like, give this a thumbs up if you appreciate this, if you take this seriously. If you agree, give this a like. Make sure you subscribe, hit notification bell icon so you know when we put up new videos. Share these around, check out all, all our other content, and I hope to see you again, folks. And as always, if I don't see you again, I'll see you in the sky. God bless.